Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we began this series. We're doing sort of a mini-series. The title of the series was originally going to be That Day, and I was going to begin out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where Jesus is finishing up His first instructions to His disciples. He talks about how we're to relate to one another. He talks about how we relate to God. He talks about how we're to relate uh, to the Word. And then he ends with these verses and he says, he says, um, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the will of my Father? Many of you will say to me in that day. So there is a day coming. In that day, Lord, Lord, did we not perform many miracles in your name, cast out demons and prophesy in your name? And he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. We were never living in a relationship where I knew you. And then he gets down to the issue, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus is not imparting to us a new law where we have to be perfect. He's talking about a relationship with him and with God the Father for who he is, Lord. So when we come to Jesus and call him Lord, that lordship ought to have some effect on our lives. And this is where lawlessness comes in. Lawlessness means I call Him Lord, but I just can do whatever I want to do. Well, that doesn't work. Because if you're just living the way you want to live and doing what you want to do and calling Him Lord, something doesn't add up. And something has to make an adjustment. And I would suggest before that day, you make the adjustment to begin to live your life as if He truly is Lord over your life. And again, that does not mean perfection, but it means submission to Him. So we began to look at, all right, if, we're to, if, if, if the issue is whether we do the will of the Father, what is His will? And we turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to go there now. John 15, Jesus is talking to them about, again, the relationship with God the Father. In this case, now it's through Jesus. It's through Him. And Jesus uses this, this parable, but it's a physical parable, and it's the example of a vine, or it's hard for us to grasp what a vine is, because we tend to think of vines as these things that grow up the side of our house. But a vine in, 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 the, in Palestine, a vine in that part of the world, is more like a tree with a series of trunks that come up, and off of it throw, grow branches. And so Jesus said, here's the relationship. You know, because I believe, I heard one preacher years ago saying, if you notice, at the end of chapter 17, 14, he said, let us get up and leave from here. Well, he's headed out towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it's very possible on the way, he sees one of these vines or trees, and he's pointing to it and says, see that? I'm the vine, and you're a branch, your branches. And so he's using this as a physical example of the relationship that he wants to have with us. And, and then he talks about the, that the branch, which is us, that's abiding in the vine, the vine bears fruit through the branch. And so he talks to them about the fruit that's to be born. And I believe that covers a number of things. It covers souls that are one for the kingdom of heaven. It covers revealing what God is like. It, re- it, it covers the refreshing and the, and the life that you can get from fruit. Fruit brings life. It brings refreshing. It brings, it brings strength. And so the fruit we're to bear is the life of... It really comes down to, and we'll see it in a minute, it's the love of God flowing through the who is the husbandman, flowing through the, 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 the vine or the, or the trunk and out through the branches, producing the fruit of God's love that touches and ministers to people's lives. That's the example that Jesus is using here. And so we'll, we'll just read down through this and then we're going to pick up 
kind of review quickly and pick up with where we left off. So he's talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branch, abide in me, and I abide in you. And then if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And, and, and without me, this New King James says, but literally it means apart from me, separated from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 deals with that. It says, if you, have, if you sing with the sound of angels and your worship is beautiful as it was in here this morning, and you give everything away to feed the poor, and you put your body on the line to give your life up to be sacrificed, and it's not motivated by my love for people, it counts as nothing. So it's not the outward things we do, it's the motive that's in it, and it's allowing His love for people to flow through us into a hurting, dying world. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And we cannot do that apart from a living relationship with Him where His love is flowing into us and then out of us. So we'll read down through here. First, uh, John 5, starting in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So the love that I have for you came from the Father. And using himself as an example, as I have been in a living relationship with God the Father and allowed His love to flow into me, in the same way I have lived in this relationship with you and I want to allow that love that's come from the Father to flow into you. And here's how you do that. He said, As the Father's loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So before he said abide in me, now he's telling us how to do that. Abide in my love. What it's all about is love. It's not man's love for man. It's God the Father's love for mankind that's in Christ and now he wants to flow through us. And here's his way to do it. He gives practical living examples. As the fathers love me, uh, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments you will automatically abide in my love. I used to read this as Jesus saying, look, in order to receive my love, you've got, to keep, you've got to obey me. So the standard was, if you obey me, then I'll let my love flow through you. That's not what he's saying. That's legalism that puts pressure on us. What he's stating is a spiritual fact, that if you do what he says to do, you cannot help but allow God's love to flow through you. It's like deciding, okay, I want to get wet. It's, hot, it's cold, hot today, I want to get wet. And there's a swimming pool there. You can't get wet without getting in the water because the water is part, the wet is part of the water. You can't get the love of God flowing through you. You can't experience God. You can't know Christ apart from doing what he says, because it's in the obedience to do what he says that we experience and we release this love. And he goes on later to say, just as I have obeyed the Father and allowed his love to flow through me. So let's go on and read. As I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So just as the life that's in that trunk of that tree comes from the source which is in the ground and it flows up inside the trunk of that tree and as long as there are branches connected to it, it will flow out through those branches and it will produce fruit. And this is the example that he's using here. Verse 11. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be remain in you and that your joy may be full. So he wants us to experience his joy and that you cannot experience his joy separate from abiding in him and separate from his love. Verse 12. And this is my commandment. He's going to make it very clear that you love one another and here's the standard as I have loved you. So just as he's saying the love that I have experienced from the Father came from Him. It's in me and I have given it to you. Now I'm commanding you to give it to one another. And so it is the same. As I've loved you, you're to love others because that's how the Father has loved me. This is the image that He's communicating to them. And then He goes on to explain to them what this is. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love as I have loved you. Verse 13, he's now going to explain to what it is. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay his life down for his friends. Verse 14, you have heard it said of old, you shall... Oh, no, no, no. Okay, that's what's up there. So here he's, he's defining for us what it means to love the way he's loved us. And he says... This is the commandment, that you give the love I've given to you, that you give to others. And here's what that love requires, that you lay your life down for your neighbors, for your friends, just as I'm about to lay my life down for you. So we began to look at, okay, what does it mean to lay my life down for you. What does it mean to lay my life down for one another? Well, it could mean, we took to this quickly, it could mean laying your physical life down. And most likely not going to happen for you, but it could. Then we looked at it means sharing this world's goods to meet people's needs. So this is how can you say you love your brother and withhold those goods that you have if they're in need? We then looked at it means to have compassion on one another, to be willing to to, to empathize with them, understand what they're going through. This is part of what our September 23rd forum is about. And then last week we spent the whole time looking at, he says in Galatians chapter 6, to bear one another's burdens. And the reason we do that is not just because we're told to do it, it's because as a function that we are the body of Christ. So if we're the body of Christ, we bear one another's burden. And the fact that we, don't, we can let other people go through a burden and not have it affect us is because we don't understand we're one body together with them. And we use the example of the physical body. If you stub your toe, your whole body goes on to alert to take care of that toe. It doesn't look down at your toe and say, well, that's your problem. I love you. I'll pray for you, but it's your problem. So we looked at all of that. Today, we're going to look at another one. We're going to look at perhaps the most difficult thing for us as Christians to do. Forgiveness. Okay, Pastor, how, how is forgiveness connected to laying your life down? I thought forgiveness just means, look, I don't like what Denny said to me, which is not true. But so I just, I've got to forgive him because the Bible says to forgive him. So here I am, I forgive you, Denny. All right. That's not what it's about. All right. Why is forgiveness a, a, an aspect of laying my life down for you? Because when somebody's done something against me, I now have a claim against them. They've injured me. And so in the world system of justice, if they've done something against me, I have a claim on them. Husbands and wives are very good at this because some of them will store it up. 
Wives are good at this. They remember things you didn't do or should have done, and they'll store them up for when they need them to bring out, to mention to you that you did this or didn't do this. All right? So it's a claim we have on somebody. And, 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 and what's, we'll talk about this in a minute. It's a, it may be a, a, they may actually have done something wrong. They may have said something about you and they were wrong about it and it hurt you, it offended you. Maybe they did something to you. Maybe they actually physically did something to you. Jesus talks about that. And, and, and so you've got a claim against them. You've got something you can hold against them. And what forgiveness does is forgiveness says, I now have to die to that claim I have against you and I have to give it up so that I can set you free from the guilt that I want you to carry around. See, when somebody hurts us or does something, we want them to pay a price for it because we've paid a price because it hurt us. So we want them to pay the price back by carrying around that guilt. I'll forgive them, but I want them to, I want them to feel bad for a while. That's revenge. I want to get, they hurt me, I want to get back at them and hurt them. So we have the ability to release them from that guilt. Whether they ask for it or not, we have that capacity within us and that is a form of laying our life down for one another. This is bearing one another's burden in a little different way. It's bearing their sin. So we bear their sin by forgiving them. See, in the normal functioning of the world's way the world thinks, the way I get rid of this is by requiring you to pay something for it. So if you've suffered, if you've hurt me, and as long as you know you've now asked me for forgiveness and you've had to carry this guilt around for a while or what I have against you for a while, and then finally I decide I'm going to graciously let you off the hook, now, I've got some sense of satisfaction because you've paid a price for what you did for me. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Guys online, you understand? Okay, all right. All right, okay. So when we forgive them, we're saying, I'm willing to carry that burden. I'm willing to carry your sin that you did to me and willing to release you from it, release you from the claim that I have on you. To forgive, and listen carefully, to forgive, and this is how we often think of it, to forgive is not just something we're supposed to do. Because when we think of it in terms of something we're supposed to do, we can decide whether I want to do it or not. But if you're a true Christian, forgiving is who you are, not something you do. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is not just something we do for one another. Forgiveness, if you're a Christian, is part of who you are as a Christian. How can, how can you say that, Pastor? Because if you're a Christian, He's the vine, and you're a branch, and you're one with Him. I've never yet had a tree. My mother was a horticulture. She knew all the trees by, by their Latin names and things like that. I never heard her say, that's an elm tree, and that's Branch Freddie, and that's Branch Susan, and that's Branch... No, it was an elm tree. And she's looking at the branches, the leaves, and the trunk. It was all one thing to her. It had one identity. 
Well, if you are, in order to be a Christian, you have to be in Christ. Let a man be in Christ. He's a new creation. There are over a hundred verses that talk about being in Christ, part of Christ, joined to Christ. So if you are in Him and you're one with Him, whatever He is, you are. That's the only standing we have before God the Father. We don't have standing because God loves us and paid for our sins. Our standing before God the Father is because you're in Christ. Because you're in Christ, you have the same standing before God the Father that Christ has because you're in Him. Well, in the same way, whatever He is and the way He treats people is the way we as Christians treat people because we're one with Him. And when we decide to treat people differently than the way He treats them, we've chosen to separate ourselves from Him. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We've chosen, I'm not going to act like Christ today. I'm going to see myself different and separate because I don't want to do what He did. I don't want to forgive because He's forgiven. But if I'm in Christ, I have no, uh, no alternative. If I'm truly going to abide in Him, I have no alternative but to do what He did, to do what He has done. So what we often do is we know God forgave him, but we don't want to. I'm separating myself from Christ. You, you guys online getting this? Okay, all right, all right. Now why, let's, let's be honest, why should I bear somebody else's sin? They did it. They did it to me. They did it to moi, me. So they deserve what they get. Be a little careful about standing up and telling people, saying to God, they ought to deserve, they ought to get what they deserve. Because think about whether you want from God what you deserve. I'm not going to get into this this morning. God is a God of justice. God requires justice. But be careful when we're, we're demanding justice for ourselves before God. Because I don't want... Justice means I get what I deserve. I, I don't want what I deserve. I want His mercy and I want His grace. God's a God of justice. But it's God's justice. It's not man's justice. I don't want to get into that. There's a fine line there. So Jesus is our example. Imagine this. He's just spent all night being mocked, ridiculed, stripped, beard plucked. They put the Roman soldiers put robes on him and mocked him as a king. They gave him a reed. They put a crown of thorns on the head. They smacked him. They mocked his prophecy. They said, "Oh, if you're the son of God, prophesy who hit you." They plucked at his beard, and that was just the beginning. Then they took him out in the courtyard to be scourged within an inch of his life. I don't want to go into what that was. Then when that's done, they take this big wooden beam, they lay it on his shoulders, and they demand that he carry it out to the hill of Golgotha, knowing that when he gets there, he's going to be nailed to it and suffering the most excruciating death conceivable. Knowing that on that cross... The sin of the world is going to come on him. And he turns to them from the cross, having gone through all of this. 
and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they've done. He's our model, our example. But it's more than that. If he's just an example, then we can look at him and say, well, that's Jesus. Of course Jesus forgave everybody. Of course he did that. But that's just Jesus. I'm just human. I'm human, but I'm in Christ. By the way, he was human also. He really did suffer. He really did bleed. He really was in agony and pain. It was not something he had a special grace to go through so he didn't feel anything. He suffered for us. Now think about what we deserved. And he bore it for us. What I want you to see, which is what Jesus is trying to get us to see, is that the love of God, God's kind of love, is different than the world's love. God's love is a love that takes the burden of others on itself so they can be set free from something they can't be set free from on their own. That's the gospel. God's love is a self-sacrificing love. It's about everything that you need and nothing that I need. And this is what we've not understood because, oh, God loves me, God loves you. But we're thinking by and large in human terms of human love. So we think, well, God loves me. He's just smiling on me today. He knows, I'm, he knows I'm human. He knows I struggle. He knows all that. That's not what it is at all. In our lifetime, we have offended Him infinitely more than you'll ever believe with casual words we say, thoughts of things we never should be thinking about, our lack of honoring Him. Say, but I, Pastor, I pay tithes and I come to church. Yeah, but do I honor Him with my whole life? I don't yet. And yet He continues to bear that so that we might be free. This kind of love bears the sin of the world. Because listen to me, either the world was going to be crushed under this burden of sin, or God was going to take that burden on Himself and set them free. And that's what Christ did on the cross. And the reason He's not just an example to us is because we're one with Him. So whatever He is, that's what we are. And here's the issue. That love, that same love is in you right now. That same love is in you if you're sitting in your living room. That love is in us right now. It's not like we've got to get it. Romans 5.5 5, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The issue is We've got to renew our minds, which is what we're doing today. Renew our minds to understand who we are in Christ. And we love to hear who I am in Christ as I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am healed in Christ. I have all these blessings in Christ. But there's responsibilities that come with being in Christ. Which is to act like Him. Because that's who you are. Paul's pattern, the Apostle Paul's pattern, through many of his letters, because most of the letters he wrote, like to the Ephesians, the Corinthians, most of his letters were correcting something. And Paul's pattern was amazing. Paul would start out not by saying, you bunch of lazy Christians. You should look at what I've done and look at how you're fighting with one another. No. 
he usually starts out by reminding them of who they are in Christ. This is who you are. This is what God did for you. This is who you are. And then the rest of the letters, now act like who you are. So it's not to look at this. This is something we're supposed to do. No, this is who you are. Act like who we are. So we talk about coming together and listening to one another and sharing one another's burdens. This is not some horrible big thing we've got to go through. This is who we are. We've just not been functioning as who we are. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. So he's more than our example. We are literally his body. So whatever he is, we are. The Father sent Him to redeem mankind by bearing their sin for them, our sin, so that we could be set free who could not set ourselves free. This is the essence of God's type of love. The world right now is under a horrible burden. It's, boy, you've got to have your head buried in the sand if you can't see that. The fighting and squabbling and the darkness and the... And the, and the, 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 the degradation and the vileness that's commonly accepted in our society is becoming part of the law of the land. It's, a way, it's just the fruit of sin. It's the, the, the piling up of sin for over the years is weighing us down with a heaviness. Romans 8 talks about this. All of creation groaning. Groaning for what? For the revealing of the sons of God is what he goes on to say. It's groaning not for Jesus to come back. It's groaning for the church to come forth with who we are. We are the body of Christ in the earth. And if Satan can get us judging one another, arguing with one another, not forgiving one another, then he doesn't have to do anything. Because we have no witness in the world. We don't bring any light into the darkness. And that's why He wants to work in your relationships to bring strife, to foster strife, and to fuel strife. That's what He's after. Christ came out of the Father's love, the Father's love for guilty mankind to bear our sin on Himself. Now forgiveness costs us something. It costs us the right to hold on to somebody's guilt against them, hold something against them. And so, to forgive you is to die to that claim, which is myself. To let go of that claim is a dying to myself. Love bears their guilt so they can be free. This is, this is contrary to all natural thinking, but this is why we have to renew our minds to the gospel to what the Word of God says. We can't think like the world. In that... Listen to this. So when I forgive you and release you, whether you understood it or not, when I forgive you and I release you from my heart by saying, okay, I don't need you to pay for that. I'm releasing that debt that you owe to me. Not only do I set you free from it, but I set me free from it. Because she, when I don't forgive you, the weight of your sin, I'm still carrying around. And I get this picture, in the old days when somebody had committed murder, 
in some countries, they would take the carcass and tie it to their body. Imagine what that would be like in a week, in a month, in a year. The stench of that decaying body became part of who they were. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to a debt that somebody owes us and we will not forgive them, that stench begins to come part of who we are and it begins to corrupt our heart and eventually can destroy our soul. So in that sacrifice, we're set free because we've stepped out of natural love into God's love for us. That is abiding in His love. So let's go and look at what Jesus had to say about this. He gave some specific instructions. So we're going to go to, uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Now, there's a series in here of comparisons that Jesus does. Uh, you've heard it said of old, you know, sh- you shall do this, and now I'm telling you this. So he's laying out for his disciples, the crowd's going away, for his disciples, the basic rules for operation in the kingdom of God, which they've now been called into. And now he's going to talk about our relationships with each other. Verse 21, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, because whoever murders shall be in danger of judgment. Ah, understand that. Got that. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother... Now the New King James says without cause. That's not clearly in, in the original language. Who shall ever be angry at his brother is in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka. How many of you ever said Raka to somebody? That means, that means you idiot, empty-headed, you stupid person. Whoever says Raka or you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now let's stop there a second. This is, this is radical because Jesus is equating anger at somebody with murder. See, that, this is where we've got to renew our mind to how he thinks. Because in our mind, murder means I kill you, physically kill you. But hey, I, what harm is... I'm angry at you. We get over it, okay? Husbands and wives do this all the time. We're angry at each other and we don't resolve that or deal with that. But that brings hurt against somebody. To be angry at somebody, I've turned this, this heart, I've turned the life energies that have been birthed in me through, this, through my union with Christ, I'm turning those now to hurt you, harm you, or destroy you. And this is why he equates anger against somebody with murder. We may not be pulling a gun, we may not be putting poison or, or visine in their drink. We may, be, we, may be, uh, we may not be physically taking their life, but our focus of our heart is to hurt them, get back at them, harm them emotionally, harm them. And that is totally contrary to the character and nature of God. Imagine if God got angry at us. He did but He poured His anger at you out on that cross on His Son. He bore His anger against us Himself. Now He goes on and says this, Therefore, because of this, if you bring your gift to the altar, He's talking about tithes and offerings, He's talking about a worship. 
and therefore you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. What's he saying there? He's saying there that before you can do anything in terms of an open heart, because worship is an open heart of loving God. He says, how can you do that when that's not where your heart is flowing at all? How can you do that? But he's basically, I can't hear your worship because it's not worship. Remember John chapter 4, he talks to Jesus, Jesus talks to the woman at the well about true worshipers. True worshipers. There are people that worship, but they're not true worshipers. They're singing songs. They've got their hands in the air. There's tears coming down their cheeks, but it's emotion. It's not true worship. For that, the Father desires that true worshipers who worship in spirit. It has to be the same spirit that He has. That spirit does not have anger, jealousy. That spirit does not have vindictiveness. It does not have revenge in it. And so you can't have revenge. You cannot have anger down in your heart, in one part of your heart, and have the rest of it open to God. Because Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. You can't put yeast in just a little part of the dough and have it only affect that part of the dough. It affects the whole lump of dough. This is why God talks so much about our heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So what, what's, what's wrong about Raka or your fool? Because it shows disrespect. Understand, this is what's really helped me so much with people that have said things about me, done things against me, whatever. But, and there's not that many, but, but, but when there are any of them, it bothers you, right? <laughs> is, I've, I began to, God, I, they're your child. Jesus died for them as much as He died for me. I have no right to judge them. I thought we could... No, I can judge fruit, but not the person. The other warning is, judge not lest you be judged, because the standard you use with other people is the standard God's going to use with you. So you choose the standard God's going to use with you. I just know this. I need His mercy. He's been so merciful to me. I have to give that mercy to others. In fact, when I'm praying for somebody that's done things to me, I'm asking God, I want you to be more merciful with them than, you, than you've been with me. I need you to be merciful to them. Broken relationships with our brother or sister. I'm not talking about the world yet. We'll get there. Broken relationships with our brother or sister interferes with our worship and our prayers. The worship of God cannot be separated from our relationship and love for one another. 1 John 4, John makes this clear. 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother. Remember what hate is. Hate doesn't mean you're screaming at him and yelling. Hate means I'm holding something against them. And he, he's, God says you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? 
How can we say, I love God, but I hate the person God loves? How can I say, I love God, but I'm holding something against the person that God died to pay for their sin, the very sin I want to hold on to and hold them to? How can I do that? Let's go back and close with reading again John 15. Go back to John 15. Verse 9. As the fathers love me, I have also loved you. Abide. Abide in my love. How do we do that? If you keep your command, my commandments, you will automatically abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. See, we want to hold on to that because we're getting some pleasure out of holding on to it. We're getting some pleasure, but it's in your flesh. It's feeding your flesh. But they need to get... Some people have trouble. But, 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 but what about justice? What, what about, you know... They'll go, or the other argument is, but, but if I let them go, they're going to get away with something. First of all, if they've really done something against you, God's the judge of whether they get away with it. Because we put ourselves in God's role when we start deciding what people should get away with and what they shouldn't get away with. James calls us, you be, take the place of the lawgiver. You put yourself in God's place when you decide, well, I don't think this person should get, be forgiven. You put yourself in God's place. That's a dangerous place for you to be in. I mean, but, but they need to learn something. If I don't, if I don't hold on this, they're going to get away with this and they're going to do it to other people. That's not my business. That's not my business. That's not my responsibility. This is my commandment that I, you, John, love one another as I have loved you. If you abide in my command, keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. If you forgive them, you will begin to experience His joy. If you hold on to it, you will never experience His joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. We're going to take a moment right now. And I just want you to close your eyes. I prayed over this this morning. I want you to close your eyes. If you're home, I want you to do the same thing. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. (laughs) But you shouldn't be watching anyway. Wherever you are, I want you to just close your eyes right now. I wouldn't be surprised if in the course of this message that something's come up in your heart. We prayed in the beginning that the Holy Spirit, we asked Him to, to come into our hearts and to, and to touch areas of darkness in our heart where He wants to set us free and to bring His light, His truth, His joy. And so maybe some situation has come to you while we've been hearing the Word or or we're going to take a moment and ask God. Maybe it didn't. But maybe there's a relationship. It may be an old relationship that you've forgotten about. I've had God bring relationships back that were 30 years old that I was still needed 
to resolve that I thought I'd resolved, but I hadn't because I was still holding on in my heart. One way to know is when you hear that person's name and you get this inside, this uncomfortable list inside. That's a sign there's still something there. There's a root that's still there. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to do this. But He needs our permission to come in and to do this work in us. And so, Father, right now, we're taking a few moments before we bring this service to an end to allow the Holy Spirit to bring up into our consciousness some situation, someone that we know we need to forgive and to let go. Maybe, Father, it's somebody that's already gone on and we can't go to them and we can't physically resolve it, but we can resolve it with, before you. We can forgive them before you as if they were really here. Maybe it's a situation where somebody still thinks they're right and, 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 and they don't want to ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter if we're holding anything in our heart. It's hurting us and interfering in our relationship with you. Father, you want to call us as believers to a wonderful place of flowing in the love and the life of Christ into this world. But before we can do that, we have to have you root out of our hearts those areas of unforgiveness those areas where we're holding on to something and the longer we've held on to it, the harder it is to let go. But you're able to, we pray that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask according to the power of the Holy Spirit who's at work in us. So we're asking you now. So I want you to take just a moment and not out loud, but I want you to say before God their names right now. He'll hear you. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand up. I'm going to ask you to take your hands like this. And I'm going to ask you to... That, what, what you've just prayed is in your hands right now. It's in your hands, all right? This is a silly exercise, but it gets across to you. You've been holding on to this. And now what we're going to do, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to have you throw it away. And when you throw it away, actually, I'm going to have you throw it up. Because when you throw it up, you're throwing it into God's hands. And He will now take it. So whatever somebody's done to you, He'll now take that. And it's now in His hands what to do with it. It's not in my hands. Everybody ready? Alright, it sounds silly, but it's going to work. Father, we're going to do this by faith. We're going to throw up to you whatever these things were that are in our hearts that we've been holding on to. And as we do it, we're releasing this into your hands for you to take off of us. We release this person. We release that situation. We forgive them. We ask you to pour out your mercy and grace, the mercy and grace you've had upon us. We're asking you to pour into their lives. In Jesus' name. So ready? One, two, 
three. Just release it up into the air. All right, Father, that's yours. Now let's give the Lord a hand clap. But you're free. You've now been set free. So you may be seated for just a moment. Praise the Lord. Sometimes a physical exercise communicates something to our senses of what we've done. Now, you may find over this next week that this isn't over. Two things. Satan may come to try to bring it back to your memory. But see, you just threw it into God's hands. It's not yours. So if he brings an issue to you, yeah, but he tries to bring it back to you, just point him right on through to God. I'm not, it's not mine anymore. You go take it up with my Heavenly Father. Secondly, there may well be something God shows you to do for that person. Because when we act on it, when we act on it, it seals it. It may be there's nothing to do. But there may be something the Holy Spirit shows you to do to cut that off. Because when they cut a branch off from a tree to prune it, they will put something over it to heal the scar. And so there may be something that needs to be done on your part to solidify what you've just done. And finally, before we end this service, I know most of you in here, but I don't know where you all are.